everyone. I'm your host, Sheila Nall, and welcome back to I'm Freaking Lonely. Tell me your story as I continue my quest for connecting with exceptional people. If you listened before, you found, as I have, that we're surrounded by folks doing amazing work. People who create music, art, dance, photography, literature, even cocktails. People doing good works, teaching, mentoring, providing guidance and resources, sharing their gifts, literally saving lives, and people whose own stories can provide life lessons for others. I'm grateful to them all. Today, we add to this stellar list of involved and engaged individuals. Our guest, Carol Golden, struggling to come up with a personal descriptor, settled on community activist as the term that best describes her focus. Under that descriptive umbrella, however, you'll find a person who's driven by the desire to give back and use her skills and talents to the benefit of others. She also says she is a problem solver as well as both a leader and a helper, sometimes a tricky line to walk. A trained attorney and former teacher, Carol decided to become involved in a number of organizations over the years, gradually leading her to focus on areas of true passion, women's reproductive rights, and equal access to housing. We'll talk about both of those things today. Both Carol and her husband, Andy, are well-known here in Princeton. I remember becoming very aware of the Goldens some years ago when, on our way home, we were diverted by the Secret Service. Turns out that Carol and Andy were hosting a political fundraiser for President Obama's second-term run. And the guest of honor was none other than the First Lady herself, Michelle Obama. Too bad we weren't friends uh, at that time. I would have loved to have been there. Welcome, Carol, and thanks for visiting me here in my garage. You want to start by telling folks a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Sheila. It's (laughs) great to be here. I'm excited for this. Um, Yeah, I'm from the area. Uh, I was born in Trenton and uh, moved to Lawrence Township as a young child you may recall that my biggest claim to fame is that I went to the same high school as John Stewart of The Daily Show fame, <laughs> and yeah. that my mom, who was an English teacher in the high school, was a big fan of his. And in fact, he's quoted as saying that she's the only teacher who ever liked him. <laughs> that is a claim to fame. I love it. Well, you had said that um, uh, you had a little bit of a problem when people would ask you, what do you do? And uh, struggled with a way to come up with an answer to that. And uh, so you came up with the descriptor community activist, but there's a little story about that that uh, I'd like you to share. Yeah, well, yeah, I think, you know, little chip on the shoulder of not of not having a big career um, in a town with a lot of people with a lot of big careers. And I sort of took this sort of different path, uh, volunteering, actually, and not actually being paid for my work in a lot of different areas. But I struggled, as you say, with, well, what do I say I do? If somebody asks me what I do, do I list all the <laughs> boards I'm on? Do I say all these good qualities I have, even though I don't have an actual job? <laughs> so I did sort of settle on community activist. And the way that happened is my husband and I and two friends went to see Paula Poundstone, the comedian, at the City Winery in New York. And we happened to have... I love her. She's hysterical. <laughs> and I knew her work. I knew her. I'd seen her at least once before and I'd definitely seen her on TV and listened to Wait, Wait, Don't wait, Tell wait, Me. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and we got front row seats. If you know the City Winery, it's a really small venue. I literally could lean my, my forearm on the stage. Oh, those are good seats. Yeah, good seats <laughs> and a small venue. And I just had this feeling, it was almost like a premonition that she's gonna, she's gonna call on me, you know? <laughs> like, I knew she did that, that she sort of picks on people in the audience. She it's, does well, indeed. It's fun, but you know, you're on the spot. Yeah, if you're the and one on the receiving end. Yeah, you have to, tough. you have to be ready for it. Tough or skin. at least, yeah, be able to take it. So I remember just having this moment, I just looked across the, the table to my husband, it's like, what if she asks me, what if she calls on me and she asks me what I do? What do I say? And he mouthed the words, because I guess it was loud in there or something. I, he didn't say it out loud. He mouthed oh, that's funny. community activist. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I guess, maybe. And sure enough, she made eye contact with me, I with her, and she literally said, so ma'am, what is it that you do? Oh, God. You even sound like her. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I went with it. I had no other choice at that moment. And um, she gave me the business there for a little bit. She, she was like, you know, just in, 
not comprehending what it meant because mm-hmm. it is vague, obviously. Yeah. And I tried to give examples of things I'd done. And at the time, I was very involved in Planned Parenthood. So I brought that up and I knew she's a good feminist and sure. I knew she was pretty pro-choice. Uh, you know, she's out there in that way. So I, I figured that was safe and then I'd get her on my side. There you <laughs> go. There you go. That definitely worked, I'm sure. That's too funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Later that night, actually, I'll just end this story with... When it was over, you know, the, the long line for the ladies' room before heading home from, from New York to Princeton, I was standing in line, and the woman behind me goes, oh, you're, the, you're the lady who's the community activist, <laughs> <laughs> after she'd had a few drinks, I think. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, but, but that's a real valid dis- descriptor, and actually, um, you come by that really honestly. I know uh, just hearing a little bit about your history, which, you know, uh, and, and talking about your parents, um, and your community that you grew up in, uh, it's kind of in your roots. Can you tell folks a little bit ab- about that? Your sort of your or- origin story yeah. and how that got woven into your DNA? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the origin story seems like such a grand concept for someone like me, but I, I, I get where you're going with this. <laughs> and I, you I know, love origin stories, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it seems grand to me, but yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I can adapt. Um, yeah, you know, I grew up, uh, with parents who were both civil servants, you know, definitely felt like they were people who cared about their community and felt that they sort of had an obligation to the community and mm-hmm. and, and wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was a high school teacher, as I mentioned, and my father was a lawyer who went, who was appointed to the bench, uh, the administrative law bench in the workers' comp compensation division, and eventually actually became the chief judge and director of all of the state's workers' comp mm-hmm. program, which I was very proud of because, you know, basically when you're an ALJ in workers' comp, you're just, you're hearing the stories of folks that got hurt at work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 they're accidents. It's nobody's fault. But the little guy is the guy who's got the ba- bad back or the, you know, is, is now limited in the rest of his or her life. Yeah. And my dad was kind of a softy. And, <laughs> you know, it, there's insurance for this. So mm-hmm. why not have the employer's insurance company pay this poor schmuck who's now, you know, limited in what they can do with the rest of their life. And I, I just saw that in him as a, as a compassionate way of doing his job. Mm-hmm. You know, sticking up for the little guy and, mm-hmm. and that I'm sure that that stayed with you. And I think so. It, I think it's evident uh, as we go further in our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also, I would say that um, I'm Jewish and we grew up in a Jewish home. We're very observant, but definitely culturally Jewish. And mm-hmm. there's a concept in Judaism called tikkun olam, which I think, I don't know if it literally means, but I think it most closely means um, repairing the world. Mm-hmm. And that we all, every person on this planet has an obligation because it is a broken world and there are things that need fixing. Mm-hmm. And I think I took that kind of to heart as well. Yeah, well, I really loved uh, when you, you told me about Takun Alam. Uh, so I looked it up anyway. <laughs> and uh, so in the, it's uh, from the site learningtogive.org. Uh, it says, in modern Jewish circles, Takun Alam has become synonymous with the notion of social action and the pursuit of social justice. So... Um, you were spot on, and now I learned something new, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're telling me about, again, let's build on a little bit on that community that you that you grew up in, that you guys were able to sort of roam from house to house. You had this wonderful sort of, the whole community was your home in a way. Yeah, this was when we first, still lived in Trenton. Um, my parents were from Trenton, both first-generation Americans. All, all their parents were immigrants, and... Um, when they, when they graduated from high school, and some of them went to college, you know, my parents went to college eventually uh, um, in law school, but some of their peers also went to college, some went into the armed forces, but somehow this cadre of people that they were very close to in high school and growing up, and who's, they knew each other's parents, they all bought these small townhomes or row houses on the same block in Trenton, mm-hmm. on South Walter Avenue in Trenton. And um, notice how I'm trying to say Trenton, because normally I would say Trenton, <laughs> but I, I want to sound sophisticated on your podcast. <laughs> um, so, like, Trenton. Yeah, exactly. That's how we say it. So all these people lived, like, you know, literally on top of each other. Well, in Atlanta, we would say Ponce de Leon instead of Ponce, Ponce de, de Leon. So. Right, <laughs> I, exactly. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so they all had kids and the kids would just like roam around. We could run into anybody's house. We basically knew everyone. If you needed a snack, if you needed the bathroom, you needed your cut cleaned out with um, Mercurochrome, Mercur- which is what they used to use. Uh-huh. Um, it was really, you know, unusual, I'd say, for most people mm-hmm. to have that kind of neighborhood where everyone's that close together. And it was a good way to start life um, with, and for me, it was also, I was the youngest child on the block oh, by right. several years. Yeah. So I had all these big kids looking out for me all the time. Yeah. A couple of bad bullying seeds. Bullying you yeah, as well. A couple of bad seeds, but not many. Uh-huh. Not many. Mostly they were good kids and they were mostly looking out for me because I was the little one. No, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's a nice way to start. That sense of community then comes again woven into DNA. It's something that you've become accustomed to and sort of carry forward in your sense of how the world should be, I guess, right? That the, They were looking out for you. Everybody needs to look out for one another. And, and again, the Tukun Alam, carrying that through as, as you grew up and, and, and move forward. So, um, yeah, the other thing that you had mentioned was, I guess, your high school experience in that it was a more, you were in a more diverse High school. Oh, that was actually elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. So when we we moved to Lawrence Township out of Trenton, Mm -hmm. my mother became a high school teacher at the high school, and we were in a more suburban neighborhood. And um, after first grade, the township of Lawrence divided the town into two halves and tried to integrate the community. It was that time, we're talking 68, something like that. And I lived on the corner of a, a street that was the, literally the dividing line. Mm-hmm. So all my little friends were on the, who were on the other side of the street, right, basically my same neighborhood, stayed at the school we had been going to. Mm-hmm. And I was bused to um, a school called Eldridge Park School, which was you know, closer to Trenton, on the way to Trenton, um, as opposed to on the way to Princeton, mm. if you think of it that way. Okay, la-di-da. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it, it, I, I was sad to miss my friends. I didn't sure. want to change schools, but I think it was a really good experience. Um, it was definitely much more integrated mm-hmm. um, racially and socioeconomically. And I met a bunch of friends that I stayed friends with all throughout my public school education. I stayed in the public schools in Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I ended up having this teacher who was like this influence on me the rest of my life Mm -hmm. so that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten sent to that school if you think of it that way Mm -hmm. yeah oh and you had mentioned was it the principal that had the slogan um it can be done but it's up to you and that really stuck with you it did which is really strange because I I have a terrible memory (laughs) this this podcast is really you know (laughs) stretching my ability to remember my past and my origin story but I always remember this woman she was this tall very sophisticated but very official looking woman Mm -hmm. and mrs teller and she would she said it a lot she must have said it a lot because it stuck with me Uh uh-huh did they have it printed on banners it was written on stuff (laughs) yeah and she would say it maybe at the end of every morning's um announcement oh wow Uh uh-huh i'm guessing that sounds familiar let's go with that okay So it can be done, but it's, it's up to, to you. you. And I think those are great words and to seize the moment, seize the day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does seem to maybe um, set aside, you know, institutional yes. barriers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that many people do have to face. Yeah. But it still does instill a sense of self-reliance, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. But you had another teacher that uh, you had a, a really good story about um <laughs> I like um Mrs. Kingston Mrs. Kingston yeah so what what grade was she third third grade yeah I loved my third grade teacher Mrs. Hines yeah but anyway <laughs> you remember oh yeah <laughs> yeah third grade most is a kind of an important year in yeah, education I think yeah. we all know that it's like if you don't read by third grade it's a problem third grade's like that year when you're not a little kid anymore and you're going into being the big kid, mm-hmm. if you think of elementary K through five, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. right in the middle there. Um, yeah, so I had a teacher who was, must have been, and I actually have established since right out of college, mm-hmm. 21 years old at the time. Yeah. And she was just full of vim and vigor, and, and, and she was idealistic, and it was the 60s, and she was 
cool and she wore her hair parted down the middle and straight down or sometimes she wore braids and she was pretty and I just was in love Peggy with Lipton. her. Yeah, a little Peggy <laughs> Lipton, totally, <laughs> totally, absolutely. Uh-huh. So she was really cool and she was lovely and we loved her. And then I think it was in the spring, she decided that she would break this classroom into groups, friend groups. I think you got to self-select because I know that was just my friends and I, Mm -hmm. four or five girls, no boys Mm -hmm. for sure. Oh my gosh, I know. And she encouraged us to come up with something that we would like to do with her, with Mrs. Kingston, outside of school. Mm -hmm. And it could be pretty much anything. As long as she could do it, she would do it. Uh And my group... I don't remember why or how exactly, uh-huh. but we decided what we really wanted to do was to sleep over her house and make dinner for her husband. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so weird. Well, you wouldn't get away with that these days. For sure you not. No you way. Not do that. Can you imagine? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what, for me, I remember that her husband, it was known to me, I don't know how I knew it, how, how I learned it, but her husband who was also a teacher in the middle school, had gone to Princeton University, had played basketball on the university team with Bill Bradley, mm-hmm. and he was roommates with Bill Bradley. Oh, my gosh. And that Bill... Bonus. And in those <laughs> days, exactly, Bill Bradley was playing for the New York Knickerbockers, mm-hmm. which was my father's favorite team and therefore my favorite team, and I loved Bill Bradley. And then the idea, like you were, you know, one degree of separation from Bill Bradley that you could go make him dinner. Uh-huh. Who wouldn't? <laughs> what did you make? I, I think we made pasta. Mm-hmm. That's good. But I think we safe. baked a cake too. Oh my. Well, anyway, special. we did it. We all slept over on sleeping bags in their apartment, which was in the village of Lawrenceville, which that's how we called it then across from the prep school. Right. Mm-hmm. Right where it was in the apartment above the bakery. Uh, it was, it's always been a bakery, but now it's that, um, gingered peach. Oh yeah, sure. Know where that is. That's yeah. where they lived. Oh wow. In those days. <laughs> they were like 21 year olds. Amazing. Well, you know, but you had said that now you've small world story, you've reconnected with her. How'd that happen? That is so strange to me, <laughs> but I love it. So I wish that would happen with me and Mrs. Hines. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Except maybe. she was older at the time, so I'm sure she's not I'm still in no existence. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. We were like the lucky part of the story is that Mrs. Kingston was so young when yeah. I met her. Mm-hmm. So years later, my husband works for the university, and we used to go to the basketball games a lot. And I overhear my husband speaking with Gary Walters, who at the time was the AD, the athletic director. And he's talking about this kid named Pete Kingston. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, I heard he worked for you, Andy. And Andy's like, yeah, he worked in my office. He's a great kid, really smart, wonderful kid. They're talking, and then I, I'm just sort of not, I wasn't in the conversation. That was what was interesting. I was eavesdropping on uh-huh. the conversation. And then I hear him say something about, you know, his dad played, when, I, when Bill, and, Bill Bradley and I played, because Gary played on that same team, uh-huh. this, this athletic director. And that's when it clicked. I was like, Pete Kingston, and then Kingston playing basketball back in the day. With Bill Bradley. With Bill Bradley. <laughs> I was like, that must be that could be Mrs. Kingston's son. And sure enough, it, it actually was. That's hilarious. And through him, <laughs> I've been able to connect back with Mrs. Kingston. Mm-hmm. And she and I actually just had coffee this early in the spring. Uh-huh. She was coming through town and we've been in touch and she's wonderful. And it, you know, what's funny, Sheila, is like when you're in third grade and you have a teacher who's 21, uh-huh. that seems like a big Big, big age difference. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. not so much. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's so, a peer. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we were talking about our kids and she's got grandkids and it's just, it, it, and I, I, I think I want to, I don't want to forget to say that I told her how important she was in my life because mm-hmm. she was, because yeah. I just, I guess I really enjoyed being in her classroom. I loved going to school mm-hmm. and she was really, really touched. Mm-hmm. because, you know, you're a teacher, you get a lot of bad feedback, and mm-hmm. you get you hear from complainers. Or, to, to get that feedback from a grown-ass woman that right. still remembers, you know, what yeah. it was like uh, in third grade, and that's, that's impressive, and I'm sure it made her day. Or, yep. And now that you're, you're back in touch, we'll make more of her days. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's so cool. So how did you end up then, you know, this is, we're, you know, we're elementary school. Well, a lot has happened since then, mm-hmm. you know, you 
went to law school, obviously, and met Andy. I don't want to gloss over that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it just, uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I did graduate from high school, went on to college, <laughs> left Jersey, and really thought I wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't make a vow to not come back, but it wasn't in my plans to mm-hmm. come back. Well, I'm not going back to Ohio. <laughs> no, that's a vow. Right? That's when a vow. <laughs> Uh, although you just had a good election there. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, so I went to the University of Virginia for college, which was pretty far away and pretty different. Um, and then decided to go to law school and follow my father's footsteps and my brother's footsteps. Oh, yeah. Um, which took me to Philadelphia, the Univers- University of Pennsylvania. But in between college and law school, I met my husband. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you tie two lives together, you're... Your trajectory is a little bit, it's not your own anymore. You're mm-hmm. trying to build a life together. That's right. We knew we wanted to have children. And um, his his career took us actually back to Duke, where he had gone to college. So we were there for a brief time, where he basically did what he does for the university here, which is invest the endowment. Um, and those were, those were gears of, you know, the one, the little kid, and then having a second little one when we moved back. I was teaching throughout that time when the kids, when the little ones, my first child and then even my second one, I was teaching law school uh, in these different communities, you know, both in New York, Connecticut, and then in North Carolina. Okay, so you were teaching in law school? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And that, I, you know, I love that part. I love mm-hmm. teaching. I love that kind of connection. Mm-hmm. But then we moved to Princeton, had the second child, and there's no law school at Princeton. And right. teaching law school got to be more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was home for a little bit. Just sort of, you know, Andy was establishing himself in this pretty big job as running Princeton University's endowment as a pretty young guy. He was only 34, whatever he was. Well, and he's been there a long time then. He has been there a long time. It'll, almost 30 years. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. Yep. He's, he's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. Um, yeah, so those years were hard because, you know, little kids at home and his big job. And there was a lot of just, I remember thinking, well, if I did try to go back and be practice law somewhere in some kind of law firm setting, the stress level in this house would go through the roof. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't tenable uh-huh. at that time. Yeah, someone Someone sort of needed to be home base. Well, that was very practical of you. Yes. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> but then your kids went off to school and maybe that you had a, <laughs> I almost said come to Jesus. moment. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> well, that's fine. I can do that. Um, yeah. So when they went to elementary school, you start to have a little bit more free time because you have that eight to three where they're like literally in somebody else's oh, that's true. care, yeah. mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah. Um, so I did do the, you know, class parent stuff at the school. Right. And I did, um, I volunteered to run what they did at Riverside School, which is one of the elementary schools in town, um, what was called Authors Night, mm-hmm. which was a great joy. Actually, I have such great memories of that because it, it took, you know, you had to be or- organized and, you know, set up a system. But the joy was the night of Authors Night with these little kids reading their their poems and their short stories and their essays. The teachers all cooperated. You know, that was something, it was in the curriculum mm-hmm. to do something for Authors Night, even the little ones, uh-huh. the little ones. And, um, and then you had your rooms and you had to get facilitators to sort of run the the reading circle and mm-hmm. make it sound like a thing. And uh, I just remember particularly that my parents came to them for many years. Oh my, wow. Because, you know, my mom was a teacher and my kids were doing it. So that that is a very, very warm mem- memory for me, the author's nights. They were fun. And yeah. the kids, and you'd see kids who, shy little kids who really didn't, were at first weren't comfortable, but their mother's right or father's right next to them. And it was, it was a kind of a... Um, creative moment you know Mm -hmm. that you don't see all the time if you're just dropping your kid off at school and picking them up Mm -hmm. that's wonderful and then you also get insights into the thoughts of the kids that you probably just wouldn't otherwise get exactly and and, uh, and we learn so much through the eyes of children you know because we're sort of reliving and relearning and uh, I can imagine that was really pretty cool it was it really was (laughs) but I um I definitely stayed away from getting really involved in the PTO though 
remember because that would be in my that would have been my milieu you know that was you know for the stay-at-home moms who really didn't have big jobs outside the home Mm -hmm. that was the move but I just uh, my I kept thinking these kids my kids and all these kids have pretty much every advantage there is known to humanity at Mm -hmm. this point you know they, they live within walking distance of this beautiful school we walk to school every day. They've got great teachers, great leadership at the school, safe, clean, oh, every extracurricular activity if they want. I, I just didn't think that the kids in that school really needed much more than they had. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's kind of when I started thinking about, what about other kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You had said that you sort of had a, a, an internal reckoning that, you know, your lives are easy and others aren't, right? And exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like... What can you do to, can I, if I'm, to I'm, change that? Right. What yeah. can I do to help? And I'm giving my kids, you know, 110%, as they say. Mm-hmm. That's enough for them. They have enough. They're given a lot of love and attention and kindness and material and all the care that a child needs. Right. Exactly. But where are the, what about the kids who aren't getting that? Mm-hmm. And I know there are some in our very community. Mm-hmm. And so once you came to that realization, how did you funnel your energies toward working on, on that as an issue, I guess? Yeah. Um, as I said, you know, my memory stinks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do know that one of the organizations that made a lot of sense to me when my kids were in school, elementary, before they got to middle and high school, I learned about what was then called um, the Princeton Regional Scholarship Foundation, but got changed to the 101 Fund mm-hmm. under my leadership. Okay, so that was <laughs> so that was all. They were still in elementary school. They were still oh, in elementary wow. school. They okay. weren't even in high school yet. But yeah. I I forget how I learned. I do know how I learned about it. Mm-hmm. I was at the fish store. <laughs> I was at Nassau Seafood. I uh-huh. just had a flash. Uh-huh. Cool. And this woman I knew in town. It's all coming back. Talking to, talking we're actually, to me about uh, it. we're using hypnotism here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I'm under your spell, Sheila. Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh, my God. How does she do it, I people? <laughs> she was at the fish store. <laughs> <laughs> she was buying halibut. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I do, and she, this woman asked me, was telling me about it, and she said, you should consider, you know, getting involved, and I guess that's how it started, and I did, mm-hmm. and I learned of this organization that was started at the high school by some guidance counselors who themselves became aware that you got all these kid, rich kids going off to college, and then you have all these other kids that also attend Pr- Princeton High School who can't scrape together the tuition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's hard to talk about uh, college tuition for me right now, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, we're talking about the debt that everyone's incurred, um, you know, debt forgiveness that got, that Biden has tried to get through. Mm-hmm. They were actually um, talking, there was a big thing on Brian Lehrer this morning. I about saw that, that that was going to be there. Yeah. So this was a different era a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, so this group got together and they raised money to provide modest scholarships. Mm-hmm to students going off to college. And it was a very, um, just totally community helping their community. Mm -hmm. Community members helping their fellow community members. Let's just get together, let's try to raise some dollars, and let's divvy them up so that people can get covered. And and the 101 Fund is still functioning really well today. Um, I I and a friend led it for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And uh, we grew the amount of money that we could give out. And yeah, that was very gratifying to me because exact that was exactly like what I wanted to do when I saw that there are other kids who just aren't going to have the same path as mine. Mm-hmm. Kids find out about it through the guidance counselor? So they get recommended or yep. how does that work? I think it's still the guidance office and teachers mm-hmm. and word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And where does the funding come from? Our fellow community members, they do a big event once a year and they solicit and you know yearly annual campaign i'm not sure to be honest what they're doing now but when and that's what was in those days it was really just asking folks for a donation and then inviting them to a couple events we used to have a book reading 
um, you know, just the creative stuff that not, small nonprofits do. Mm-hmm. They're still all volunteer. There's no paid executive director. Mm-hmm. I remember when I used to get, if I got a little overwhelmed with what I'd bitten off, I would just, in terms of running the organization, we had a board and, you know, and I would just had this mantra. It's very simple. We just bring the money in, send the money out. Bring the money in, send the money out. You know, there's no overhead. We're not, we're paying rent. We're not paying staff. We're not filing insurance. You know, it was, it's a very simple and elegant little solution Mm -hmm. to an issue in town. Mm -hmm. I I think, to be honest, and you would have to double check this, but I think they've begun to focus more and more on funding fully kids to go to Mercer County Community College. Mm -hmm. Because that's an amount of, of money that they can raise. Right. As opposed to, you know, Mm $80,000. They're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. They never could. But I think there has been a focus to get kids covered at Mercer. Uh Uh-huh. And that's a great start. I mean, really, and to life. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that really is. And more and more, as you say, looking at and what you come away with, you know, by way of a degree versus the debt you're in, they don't ever meet. And you just you're in debt your whole life. It's, makes it no sense. Makes no sense. So, then you're still involved in that, huh? I, I'm not on the board. I I I, I do support them financially, mm-hmm. and um, you know, go to their events and talk talk them up in podcasts that I'm invited <laughs> to speak on. Well, you know, I'm gonna actually put a link. You know, oh, <laughs> definitely. Oh, that'd be great. Actually, yeah. oh, I definitely will. I already um, I have found it, and oh, good. We'll include it for sure. Terrific. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to mention the Greenwood House because it just sounded so good to me. Yeah. Well, it is a wonderful place. The Greenwood House is a, is a nursing home. It really is a nursing facility. It's, uh, they do have um, assisted living now. So there's assisted living and nursing, but there's not an independent living. Um, it started in Trenton on Greenwood Avenue. Mm-hmm. I actually remember visiting my great-grandmother there as a small child. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And um, it's a big facility. It's not beautiful. It's not fancy because it really is a nursing facility. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, many members of my family um, had to live there, um, including my own mother who had Parkinson's. And uh, my grandmother lived there, my great aunt. I could go on, but I won't. Uh-huh. But I will say, and I, I served on the board and I was the chair of the board for a few years. It really is a remarkable place as evidenced by the staff. Mm-hmm. It's the staff. that I mean, that's what makes a place, right? The people who have the day-to-day mm-hmm. care. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I can't say enough about them, um, how well they treated my mother when she was so sick with Parkinson's and so diminished as a person mm-hmm. and, and the way they treated her. And then, she, you know, if I go there five years later, the same staff is there. That, the longevity of the staff and the caring that they give, mm-hmm. they, they, they do treat them better than so, so many places. That's the ethos mm-hmm. of the place. The staff is treated and respected and oh, paid wow. well. Nice. So that okay. they are yeah. doing a good job. That's you, know, you hear these horror stories. Yeah, you do. And this is the, Witness them for, firsthand. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 yeah but so <laughs> just to say that I don't know where we would be without Greenwood House in, mm-hmm. my, in my family's life. Mm-hmm. Because we really, when we needed them, they were there. And you didn't have to worry. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. More people need to know about it. Yeah, put know. the link in your... Yeah, I will for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I know that you were on the board of the Planned Parenthood and um, where that fit in the overall scheme of things because it, wasn't, it ended up not being the right fit for you. Well, it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was for a while. Uh-huh. Um, it really was. I mean, it's a really, as you know, important organization. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. And it's one of my, my things I consistently donate to. Yes. Planned Parenthood. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We need them and they are at the front lines. You know, I'm not on the board anymore and I'm not as involved with them anymore. But when Cecile Richards ran the national office, that was a, that was a thing to watch. Mm-hmm. I, I always loved seeing her on any public appearance. Mm-hmm. An, uh, an interview or just a s- speech, but particularly in interviews on, you know, any news program or radio program. So articulate, mm-hmm. so smart, so ready with the answers to any questions. She's really poised. In cr- I met her a couple of times. It was pretty, uh, she's pretty impressive. Yeah. It was like kind of meeting a star, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. But after a time at Planned Parenthood, I did start to feel like, 
I wanted to do something and at 101 and, and Greenwood House, the, these organizations where I was literally just part of the governance mm-hmm. of the organization. Yeah. There's a full staff, staff is doing everything, and the board is just overseeing, mm-hmm. helping with fundraising, serving as an ambassador, and I'm good at all that. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. But there was a part of me that wanted to do something more hands-on. Hands-on, exactly. Uh-huh. And since I wasn't going to go become a gynecologist... <laughs> A little late for a that. Late for that, yeah. Talk about hands on. <laughs> Ooh, good cut one. That, cut that out. <laughs> I think you should leave it. Yeah. Talk um, about hands in. Oh, now <laughs> Sheila. Woohoo! Anyway, Sorry so that. that's okay. We, we love that about you. <laughs> well, Planned Parenthood actually is where I went when I was in college to, to for my health care. You know, I didn't have so a, many. a doctor. I went to Planned Parenthood. Everyone that was did. It. That was yeah. what we did. Uh-huh. Yep. And they're there for you and mm-hmm. they do great work. That's great. And, um, yeah, it's, it was, it's, I'm very proud of that, that time. I definitely was involved in some big decisions. That time the, the national office wanted, one of these affiliates to merge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it, it was not cost effective to have five different affiliate offices in New Jersey that I don't mean clinics there are Mm -hmm. many more than that sure and there are more now but it's like how many treasurers do you need how many back offices do you need Mm -hmm. when you could combine that and have an umbrella organization so so I was involved in a lot of that and that was you know I was work it just Mm -hmm. wasn't work work. with the people that you're serving yeah Mm -hmm. I did serve I don't remember if I told you this but I did serve as a handholder in the abortion clinic oh uh at one point Uh uh-huh which was, which was good. I yeah. mean, it was tough, actually. Mm-hmm. Where you just, they called them handholders. You're there while they're in the waiting room before they go in. Mm-hmm. There are other people who did the, forget what they called it, after you've had the procedure. Mm-hmm. But they kind of wanted people who were a little bit less squeamish. Oh, right, yeah. That was a little too squeamish for that because there could be... Yeah. Anyway, so I did the pre. Uh-huh, <laughs> right, right, got it. And that was pretty gratifying. Well, it is, and that's a very important role. Yeah, uh, to play because you know people need that support. Yes, you know, to, you know they've made the decision. Yes, and now you're just there to hold their hand yeah, and, and be hand. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, um, there were there were in the Hamilton office there were picketers outside yes. routinely. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you've gotten through that, and you know that's not so fun to have to walk past people yelling at you and telling mm-hmm. you you're doing something bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was that was worthwhile for sure. So interesting, because when I was in college, it was pre-Roe v. Wade. I don't remember any of, of that kind of thing at that time, but I was kind of oblivious. Yeah, because you were a kid. <laughs> so, yeah. Good. But anyway, so um, from there then, you, you found your new path. You, you said you're kind of a problem solver, and you were looking for a way to be hands-on, up close and personal with the people that you're working with, and applying your problem-solving skills at the same time, so... Yeah. So now, what are you now? What are you focusing on? Well, um, for the last seven ish years, I've been focused on housing, mm-hmm. affordable housing. Well, frankly, before seven years, I joined the affordable housing board way more than seven years ago. I can't even go back that far. It was mm-hmm. definitely before the towns merged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on the. That's been ten years now. Is it? 10? Believe it or not. Do you know I was on that commission? I forgot to tell you that. Oh, wow. Well, did you know that I worked on the merger from a space planning standpoint? Oh, after the after the decision to merge. After the decision to merge, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we so have we that were in common. Yeah. yeah. Where we, who would go? Who was going to go building. where? Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh-huh, oh, that yeah. was good. That was KSS. Yeah. Oh, and right. I was on that team. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So I was the on the on the original on the commission that uh, to get us to merge not wow. the execution of the merger well, i'm glad that you did it was the fifth time that the town had tried to merge oh my gosh. since the 50s mm-hmm. um but so so even before the merger i was on the affordable housing board and that's a volunteer board like we we have a lot of them in town i don't know if you're aware mm-hmm. that help run the town basically they're volunteers like we have a civil rights commission we have human services board we have zoning, we have planning. These are all citizen volunteers yeah. who work to assist the, the municipal employees do their jobs. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, you should do that. Oh, yeah. You should see which ones are open. They, they're, you know, they're two or three-year terms, and then you either re-up or you, you know, roll off, and there's room for more people. But there's a lot of... 
lot of work of the town is is not that it's done by these volunteers, but they're, they they advise. Mm-hmm. Um, so the affordable housing board does help the staff run the affordable housing program. We have ownership units in our town that you can buy. We have rental units. We oversee that. We oversee mm-hmm. the whole program and make sure that things are running smoothly and people are getting housing. Um, you know, it's not perfect. We could use more housing just mm-hmm. like everybody else. Yeah. But it's, um, I'm well, proud of Princeton the work that Princeton is, does. I think Princeton tries. Uh-huh. Because it's an expensive place to live. It sure is. And uh, so we need all the affordable housing we can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it was through my work with the Affordable Housing Board that I met this woman named Ruth Thurman Scott who at the time was running a small nonprofit called Housing Initiatives of Princeton. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really quite understand what they did, but she was amazing. And she was a wonderful member of the Affordable Housing Board, very knowledgeable and really smart. And she approached me one day to tell me that she and her husband were moving to North Carolina and that Housing Initiatives of Princeton needed someone to replace her mm-hmm. as the leader of the group because... The other folks on the board, although they were great people and very capable, just had too much else going on. that They couldn't really step into that role. And I learned more about it. And I said, yes, uh-huh. which basically what I didn't 100% realize but quickly understood was that Ruth was basically an unpaid executive director of a small nonprofit. Uh-huh. That there was no staff, there was no person being paid to run housing initiatives at Princeton, but she was running housing initiatives at Princeton. Oh, wow, okay. Which was very different from, as I say, these boards that I had served sure. on, right? Where you show up, you run the meeting, you make a few decisions, mm-hmm. you make there's some a phone paid calls. Staff doing They're it. do the work. Yeah, you leave uh-huh. the meeting, you go, okay, that's great. You get on that and get back to me. Uh huh. That's when you, yeah, like at with a- the YWCA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, you know, you're on uh-huh. boards. At HIP, it was like after a meeting, and it was like, okay, Carol, now you go do that because, and others, I'm not saying I was the only one, but I was, I was the leader, and I was not working full-time otherwise, mm-hmm. and it became, it became a job, mm-hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. I just really, really, really loved that now it was hands-on, mm-hmm. and it was I who was talking to the family who's about to be evicted mm-hmm. and needs a home. It was I who was going to the school and saying, this kid needs to get enrolled because they're moving here in a few weeks. It was I who went to the library and said, can I get library cards for all my all the families so that they have that ready? And just those are small examples, but no, I but really, really that, loved it. That real direct contact and, and the real direct feeling for what you're achieving. And, and also just, yeah, to actually be in touch with the people that are benefiting, you know, the, to be a part of their families, sort of. Exactly. And and I, I think that the vibe of HIP has always been, you know, neighbors helping neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the tagline. It's used maybe not enough because I think it really is that. Like the, the ethos is I'm helping you now because I'm in a position this time mm-hmm. and you need a hand up. Right. Not a hand out, a hand up. Mm-hmm. You would do the same for me if the shoe were on the other foot. And we're in this together. It really is that sense of community that we will all be better if everybody's getting what they need mm-hmm. to have a decent life. Like their kids need a certain level of stability. And and how and housing is the key. Like so many people have said, wiser than I, but it does make sense. Like without a home, the rest all falls apart. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, you need that firm foundation, you know, just the, that sense of security Absolutely. so that you can address the other things in your life. Exactly. And if, if you have kids, you, and, yeah. and we only do families. Mm-hmm. Families, all of our units are two-bedroom. Well, actually, there's one that's one-bedroom now that's a new unit that we just acquired, but a, a mom and a baby can stay there, mm-hmm. or a small child, you know, very small child. Right. You know, we only help families because we really want to try to break that cycle, mm-hmm. get the kids into the Princeton Public Schools, yeah. Um, get the mom situated, and and we provide very comprehensive, very hands-on, and very fine-tuned wraparound services. So it's not like, okay, Sheila, you you need a place to live, you and your child. Here, here's a nice apartment, Griggs Farm. I know you have a job. I know you don't love your job, but you're making some money. Mm -hmm. You'll pay us 30% of your income to rent, which is the affordable amount right and then you'll have a couple years 
get your act together and get things settled. Mm-hmm. No, you are going to live in this apartment and you are going to meet with our case manager who's going to help you set goals for yourself. And mm-hmm. what is it that you want? How do you want to use these two years so that when your two years with HIP are over, what will be your situation? Will you have a better job? Will you have maybe gotten some training mm-hmm. so that now you can get that, you know, that job that required a certificate? Mm-hmm. Um, will you have gotten your debt down? We'll help you with that. Will you get your credit score up? We'll help you with that. And one of the really key things we've done is we've hired someone who we call a housing navigator, whose job is, once this family is in the program, is to work really closely and intensely on getting that family to apply to every single affordable housing opportunity there is Mm -hmm. out there in Princeton, but also in neighboring towns, Mm because there are neighboring towns that have fine school systems too. Not everybody can live in Princeton. Try, but you know, if you're going to live in West Windsor or Montgomery, that's not so bad either. Mm -hmm. And um, navigating that affordable, that permanent affordable housing system, Mm -hmm. it's one thing to build the units, one thing to have more. Mm -hmm. It ain't that easy to get through it. Yeah. And there's waiting lists and there's systems to get through. Uh-huh. And um, we have someone who's working closely so that you don't fall through those cracks. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. You know, it's a um, you know, sort of full service and it's, yeah, it's, it's not enough just to have a place, but to, to have a shepherd. Yeah, exactly. We, we like, it's almost like a family because, there's, you know, we, we, we like to say in our culture that we do it all on ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. we're Americans. We pull ourselves up from our Bootstraps, you know, even Mrs. Teller, it can be done, but it's up to you. Yeah, right. But there are forces that make the world unfair. Yeah, no boots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no boots. As for an example. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but we, people of my, you know, background and, and advantages and privilege, I lean on people all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know how to lean on people. I know who to call if I need this. I know who to call if I need that. Mm-hmm. Folks who are in situations where everyone around them is just barely getting right. by. Yeah, no resources. Yeah. And there's no support. I mean, there's family support, but there's nothing to help you navigate the the, the obstacles of the world right. that they throw at you. Mm-hmm. And then good. we're, HIP is part of that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of breaks the cycle. We hope to. And yeah. we, we're, we're, we have a great track record. And in fact, in, I was going to tell you that three or maybe even four families who are currently in HIP housing are coming to sort of the end of their stays and miraculously all of them have qualified for an affordable unit in Princeton and they all are going to be moving out into the goal, which is affordable permanent housing. Oh, nice. Which doesn't always happen. Yeah. Well, kudos. Yeah. (laughs) That must feel very good. It is great. (laughs) It's great. That's what we hope for. Uh Uh-huh. Keep the kids in the school, you know, where they're thriving. So along with housing, though, you know, I guess on the heels of the Dobbs decision, oh, you yeah. um, banded together with some fo- like-minded folks, you know, to help address the horror um, <laughs> that is reproductive rights in this nation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and maternal mortality, the rate here in the nation, which is, yeah, uh, and then it's, you know, it's four times worse for women of color. Yep. But um, so talk about about what you're doing relative to that with uh, some like-minded folks. Yeah. So after that's exciting. To it me. is. It's cool. I, I mean, it's it's sort of nascent, and I'd love anyone who hears this podcast to let us know if they want to get involved, because uh, and Sheila, you're in. <laughs> um, just a couple women just sort of reached out to each other after Dobbs. And said, so, well, what can, what can we do? What is going on? And, you know, it's easy to be a little complacent in New Jersey because we do have pretty good laws in New Jersey. Mm-hmm, right. Um, and we're not, you know, Alabama or one of these other states, one mm-hmm. of many of these other states. But I still felt there's got to be stuff that could happen. And also with Dobbs, you know, you started reading about people traveling mm-hmm. out of the states yeah. where the, the prohibitions helping, are. Yeah. yeah. So there's a whole world of called practical support networks and practical support involves you know rides to the clinics Mm -hmm. rides from the airport to the clinic if they're flying in uh hotel stays Mm -hmm. if you have you know staying overnight child care maybe figuring out what to do with the kid while you're having the procedure because you're not in your neck of the woods and you need help Mm -hmm. and there are organizations that are, are actually just blooming all over mm-hmm. so we had this little group of mine of mine that, that I'm working with uh, we had a small event at my house where we had three speakers from 
these New Jersey practical support groups talk about what people can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, money is always what they really want because sure. if they have the money, they can do stuff. Mm-hmm. But they are, they could use, you know, if you want to be a driver, if you want to be on a list of names that people who would be, you get a call on a day and say, tomorrow, can you pick somebody up in Cherry Hill and take them, you know, t- pick them up and take them to the Cherry Hill Clinic because that's mm-hmm. one of the clinics that is doing a lot oh, of the they abortions. Could stay here overnight in my oh yeah we should get you <laughs> exactly this is perfect actually so and there's precedent you know for people staying here right uh, who need help yeah so well, like that burglar that spent a night up here one time I don't know about that I'll tell you later okay you maybe I'll do a podcast you should <laughs> you totally should anyway so um, yeah this group is is. Kind of fledgling, but I, 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 you know, summer was a little slow time, but we did, we did the one event about this practical support. Then we did another event um, at Labyrinth Bookstore because one of our members is Dartea von Moltke, the owner of, one of the owners of Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. We had the um, ACLU and Planned Parenthood. Not their, not the C3s, but the C4s, their advocacy wings. Mm-hmm. And those guys are really knowledgeable of the state of the law yeah, in New that's Jersey. very important to understand what's, what the law is <laughs> and what you can do within exactly. the law. <laughs> exactly. And some of it's still very, you know, gray. Uh-huh. But in terms of New Jersey's access to abortion, you know, we've got pretty good protections. It's not like you can't get an abortion, mm-hmm. but there are folks who just don't have access to them, people who don't have money, uh, often the, un- the undocumented population because they don't have uh, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still barriers, even in a state like New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And there are things that people can do to help advocate. And, and in fact, I have a meeting tomorrow with my group because mm-hmm. it's now August and we're trying to regroup. And we're talking about having a third event where the focus is, what can you do? Come to this meeting, and maybe we'll do postcard. There are postcard writing things you can do. Mm-hmm. There are you can go to um, legislator legislative day at, in Trenton and Trenton, Trenton <laughs> and hang out with the Planned Parenthood folks or the ACL folks with signs and with what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that we can be doing mm-hmm. just to make sure our state does the best we can do. Yeah given that this is where we are and it's already pretty good, but it can always improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and funding, funding, funding doesn't get taken away for anything. Um, so, you know, it feels in a, this post-Dobbs era, it does feel like you got to do something. Yeah, you don't absolutely. like just sitting here and mm-hmm. watching it all get, get really weird and scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, anyone who wants to find out more, they should get in touch with you, then you can get in touch with me. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) (laughs) It's really needed and very uh, timely. So, yes. Yeah. So, another on your long list of stuff you've been doing. Well, I know you and I are fairly like minded politically. Um, You said that you have a a group of friends that you get together with mm, to talk politics. What's that all about? Oh, well, I do have that. We have, <laughs> so right after 20... You may not want to talk about it, but... No, we can, we can, I'm, not af- I'm not afraid um, of confrontation. I mean, I know you and I are like-minded, but yeah. I started engaging people. Oh, good. good because good. I just can't... Mm-hmm. I can't be quiet yeah. about it. But I do have a group. We started this reading. It was a, it was a book group uh-huh. in 2016 with the very first book. It's a friend of mine suggested we read, and she wanted, she wanted to read it. She didn't want to read it alone. She wanted to be able to discuss it. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started. And it well, was what the, book was it? It was the Hillary Clinton book, What, uh, what Happened, oh, uh-huh. which on my own I probably would not have read. Yeah, uh-huh. Because at that point, I was also kind of sick of her, too. Yeah, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> but my friend wanted to read it, and I was like, sure, I'll do that with you. And so we got this group, and we, st- we read that book, and we s- discussed it. And to tell you the truth, it was dumb. Mm-hmm. But then we were like, what did happen? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't answer it. Yeah. So we started reading all kinds of you know, political science, sociology. Those are the two main areas mm-hmm. of, of Folks that were just churning out books, trying to understand what happened to the electorate. Yeah. Why would this guy get, get where he did? How did it happen? Yeah. And um, we read and read and read and read. And we read about the disaffected white people in rural areas. And 
how they feel left behind. Wah, wah, wah. I mean, you know, <laughs> I agree with you. I feel bad that I feel that way because <laughs> I know folks. there are real gripes out there, yeah. but mm-hmm. this is not the answer. Right. I think it's not that I don't think people have gripes. Yeah, for it's sure. It's like, yeah. but how could you possibly think that this individual, yeah. Donald J. Trump, would do anything to help you yeah. or wants to help you in any way. Right. That's the part That's, I don't get. Yeah. Well, it all has to do with media and the sources, their and sources of information. I think that's right. And also the energy that people can afford to put behind educating themselves. That's um, a good point too. Um, or care to, you know. Yeah. But then yeah. I go back to the education system. Uh-huh. So. Like civics, remember? Yeah. Learn it. Civics. Oh, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Not in Florida. Not in Florida, <laughs> not in a lot of states, apparently. Yeah, no, no history for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we started, and now we just meet to discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then we kind of got sick of ourselves just talking about it. Yeah. So then... How do, you, how do you turn it into action? So, yeah, <laughs> action <exactly>. items. <laughs> Actually, we read a book. We read a book that said this. Mm-hmm. I forget the book. But it um, was like, well, what are you going to do kind mm-hmm. of thing? He was at Tufts University, so a political scientist. So then we pivoted, and now we are we try to do more local stuff. We got we got a little involved in housing. We're getting a little involved in just the issues that affect folks in our community who mm-hmm. are who need spokespeople. Uh huh. We're a little low key, but and it's a little um, at rest during the summer. But we'll get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, now are these folks all local, or mm-hmm. you know, just local? New Jersey, New York. Princeton. Just This just is just Princeton. Princeton. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. The other group that I am also <laughs> involved in is called the New York Buddy Group. Oh, yeah. Okay. The New York Buddy Group is a bunch of very savvy, very political in all senses of the word, very um, connected folks uh, in New York City, mostly, mm. who give... They're basically bundlers. They bundle money for big for candidates. Oh wow! They have been doing, and I'm I joined because my friend lives in Princeton and New York. Mm -hmm. She asked if I wanted to join. I joined. We do a lot of events. They do a lot of events. They like they people in that group. There's many people in that group, and Mm -hmm. some of them you know call Nancy Pelosi Nancy when when they meet her. Oh wow! Okay, like that. That's how connected they are. All right, there you go. (laughs) And I just I'm in it to learn. Mm-hmm. Every Friday we have a meeting and I learn. Mm-hmm. And then if I see a thing I want to promote with some people I know, I'll send it out. You'll probably getting be getting things from me. And I just want to say, I will probably will just send them to you, Sheila, uh-huh. and you can completely ignore them. So don't feel like you should do them. But I think if you want to, you should. Uh-huh. And every one of their events is on Zoom uh-huh. and it's all come you don't have to spend you don't have to pay at all you uh-huh. don't have to donate at all mm-hmm. you can just come because they like to have people learn and do some learning yeah and then if you want to donate you donate but it's not required uh-huh i like learning yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> i can tell that yeah. about you <laughs> well you know there's a big vacuum there it's got <laughs> plenty of room <laughs> i don't think you so. hear that sucking sound <laughs> <laughs> he's sucking in information <laughs> <laughs> That sounds pretty cool too, and I uh, I look forward to getting those emails. Well, it sounds like you keep a really full schedule, and now that you and I are connected, I'll f- we'll find time. Fill for it you. more. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, because really, I um, you know, the things that you're you're involved in and concerned with are are things that are near and dear to my heart, certainly too. And uh, I just really, I'm glad that you took the time to come and share that with us. Uh, any parting thoughts? Uh, I just want to, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. I'm, I feel lucky that someone connected us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Yedlin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Charlie. Uh-huh. Charlie and Shelly. Shelly, yeah. Actually, it was Shelly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Yeah. They're great community members, mm-hmm. yeah. as an example. Mm-hmm, anyway, sure. so shout out to the Yedlins. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm so gl- grateful for that, and it's been a pleasure doing this. I was nervous, but I'm glad I did it. Yeah, lots of fun. And I will- it was fun. You're funny. <laughs> Thanks. Well, good. It's a good, it's a good way to be. Cool. No, this was a blast. I'm enjoying it much more than I thought I would. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy to be in a community where this is, um, where I'm accepted as someone who sticks her nose in things and tries to get things done and we'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, thanks again. And, um, you know, encourage your friends to listen to our chat.
I shall. Yeah, and also encourage your friends to come and talk to me. Well, not, not all of them. Oh, uh, yeah. Just uh, the good ones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I was lonely. I'm not as lonely, and thank you for helping me with that. <laughs> Pleasure. And uh, to my listeners, uh, thanks again for listening. And as I always say, remember to stay connected.